Okay, now that we've talked about our trip to Missouri and uh, when we're supposed to be leaving to join the saints there, let's now go on. We're supposed to be studying this week uh, Helaman 13 to 16. I never got out of 13. I'll just warn you right now. We never got into the rest of all of the things about the Savior coming and all that. We're going to be stuck in, in uh, chapter 13. It is too rich and too full of things that were pretty powerful. Um, verse 1. Um, who, wants to, who wants to read? I'm feeling in a reading mood. Wendy, have you got that? Thank you. Verse 1. 13.1 And now it came to pass in the 80 and 6th year the Nephites did still remain in wickedness, yea, in great wickedness, while the Lamanites who observed strictly to keep the commandments of God. So we've got this great reversal going on, don't we? Where it's like the Nephites are really bad and the Lamanites are really good. And, and so it would make sense that in, in the, the old days the Nephites would go and preach to the Lamanites. This is where the Lamanites are going to come and preach to the Nephites. Okay? Okay. So next. Alright. They kept the commandments according to the law of Moses. And it came to pass that in this year there was one Samuel, a Lamanite, came into the land of Zarahemla and began to preach unto the people. And it came to pass that he did preach many days repentance unto the people, and they did cast him out, and he was about to return to the government. Now you may, we have to kind of keep this in mind, that this is like this Samuel shows up, climbs on the wall and preaches and jump, preaches and then jumps down. He's gone. He preached many days. He preached a lot. Many days could be years in, in the parlance of these guys. Okay? And then they cast him out and like Nephi and everybody else, he just is compelled by an angel to come back and preach. Okay? So? But behold, the voice of the Lord came unto him that he should return again and prophesy unto the people whatsoever things should come into his heart. And it came to pass that he would not suffer that he should enter into the city. Therefore he went and got upon the wall thereof and stretched forth his hand and cried with a loud voice and prophesied unto the people whatsoever things the Lord put into his heart. Okay, so this is what prophets do. Oft times they're going to preach and then they're going to be rejected, and they're going to come back and preach again. Um, so the pattern is here. But I want you to be aware of, wouldn't it have made sense, well, let me ask you something. If the Lord's going to send a prophet, and they were going to reject the prophet, why would he then turn around and send the prophet back again? Didn't, didn't they have their chance? He wants them, and he wants them to give them Exactly. Is it? Yeah. And, and you never know what it is it's going to kind of take. And so one of, the, one of the principles that I want you to really hear in this pattern, because look at every time, it's like they preach, uh, they get rejected, they come back and preach again, there's another group that gets, that joins. We believe, brothers and sisters, in a second chance God. He's going to preach to us, and even if we reject Him, he will preach to us again. And sometimes we'll send the same prophet, sometimes a different prophet. But we believe in second chance, second chances. He will do that for us. My thought was that he wanted to punctuate the point. 
in order to, in other words, give them another chance to hear, that they might begin to put it together and make some sense of it. Yeah, sometimes again, and we were talking last, last week about the treble prayer, and that is that oftentimes God will speak three times, and the first couple of times, we don't hear it, or we don't understand it, and He has to speak to us again. Uh, and, yeah. I always thought the nice thing about it too, though, was that God gives the prophets a break. <laughs> he gives them a down, some downtime in between. Catch your breath. Yeah. Yeah. the old bacon. And then go back to that. I think that's it. Go get Yeah. I think it's also, it's not a quote, but I think it's also a testimony against the discretion. They have a chance. They have several chances. I'm justified in destroying it. Yeah. Everything I could to redeem Because sometimes what that is is a second witness, even if it's by the same person. Okay, uh, I love I love this one. Uh, just for a second, why don't you hop over to uh, Doctrine and Covenants three? I want you to see this one again. Who's got that? Three, five, through ten. Yeah. Okay. Behold, you have been entrusted with these things, but how strict were your commandments? Okay, now let's stop for a second. Uh, entrusted with what things? Yeah, you've been entrusted with the place, and you've been entrusted then with the translation that came from this. This is the 116 pages. Okay, and? Next. And remember also the promises which were made to you if you did not transgress them. And those promises were, if you didn't transgress, you'll be preserved if you obey, and you're going to be able to complete this great work, and if you don't... Yeah, okay. And behold, how oft you have transgressed the commandments and the laws of God, and have gone on in the persuasions of men. Okay, now, but again, this ought to be really comforting to most of us. Shouldn't it? Can okay, read that last verse again. And think about your own life. And, 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 and maybe even of your, your kids. Think about this again. And behold, how all you have transgressed the commandments and the laws of God and have gone on in the persuasions of men. You just keep doing it. And you keep doing it. And the Lord does what? Keeps forgiving us. And He keeps, he give, keeps giving us second chances. That says, okay, yeah, you didn't. And, and that's why I'm just amazed when we beat ourselves up for the things that we have done without seeing the whole picture that says, I still love you, I'm going to be there for you, and, and nice things are going to happen. For behold, you should not have feared man more than God, although men set it not the counsels of God despise his words. Yet you should have been faithful, and he would have extended his arm and supported you against all the fiery darts of the adversary. Now right about this point, don't you think Joseph's crawling just a little bit? If you remember the story about how, how he drags himself from uh, Harmony where he was up to the end that heard from Martin Harrison, the, the record stuff, and him finally has the baby, and now he's free to go, and he gets up there, and he's almost exhausted when he gets up to the home in Palmyra, and then they're having breakfast, and they call for Martin Harris to come and bring the pages back and everything, and they're watching Martin struggling, leaning on the gate, 
fearful to come in, and then he comes in and sits, and there's this tense quiet while they're eating breakfast, and they're waiting for Martin Harris, and then finally he jumps up and says, I've lost them, I've lost them, I've lost my soul, I, I've lost the pages. And at that point, uh, Joseph jumps up and basically says the same thing, and I think Mother Smith says this was like the worst day in her memory. You just can't believe how bad this was. Okay, and then we're going to get, but here's, here's the line he tells Behold, thou art chosen. Hey, you are still chosen. After all of this, you're still chosen, and? And thou art chosen to do the work of the Lord. But because of transgression, if thou art not aware, thou wilt fall. But remember, God is merciful. Therefore, repent of that which thou hast done which is contrary to the commandments which I gave you. And thou art still chosen and art again called to the work. Okay. How comforting is that? After all of this, thou art still chosen and are called again to the work. Again, think about the things when you look in your life and say, I wish I hadn't done this and I wish I hadn't done that. What if you could hear the voice of the, of the Lord in your ear say, you're still chosen. You're called again to the work. And you want to say and respond by saying, but I did these horrible things and I screwed up and I shouldn't have done this. And he says, just don't do it again. And you said, yeah, but you told me that last time. <laughs> and then I did. And what does he say? Don't, don't, don't do it again. We believe in a God of second chances and he will forgive he wants us to forgive how many times? 70 times 7. I mean, it isn't like, you know, after 490 you stop. That's, that's code language for keep forgiving. Always. And yet we beat ourselves up for the things that we've done. How comforting is that? I mean, do you happen to know anybody in your life that you might visit teach? or under your own roof, that continues to beat themselves up for the past? Why is it that we continue to beat ourselves up long after the God of second chances has said, you're called again to the work. You're still chosen. Why do we do that? You think he's on the, in there whispering and saying, that was really bad. <laughs> you know, and you're not as good as now. You screwed that up. Well, you ought to be embarrassed. Yeah. And I think a lot of it's not trusting that the atonement will take care of our rebound stuff. Yeah. Yes. You guys get that? Sometimes the reason is, is that we just don't trust the atonement. But can I put that differently? Uh, sometimes we just don't understand the atonement. We get caught up in the myth, and it is a myth of the gap theology. The gap theory of the atonement. And it says, we are saved by grace after all we can do. And so I never know how much I've done enough. And really that verse should say, we are saved by grace in spite of all we can do. That's what it means. The gap theology tries to say, he will do that last little bit that we didn't do for ourselves. That's not true. We are saved by grace. We, don't, we didn't deserve any of it. 
and he loved her. And grace, and yeah, what is grace? The love of God. Want to understand grace? Go back and read the children of Israel in the wilderness with manna. They get up every morning and where's the manna? All they got to do is pick it up. That's grace. Want to understand grace? Here it is. So, we believe in a God of second chances and that's going to be kind of important here. So here's the principle. We believe in a second chance God. Okay, now, that said, as we're looking at this, I want to stop for a second and we're going to do Economics 101. Okay? We wish we had Congress here with us, but they certainly are not, so we'll do the best we can. At least we will understand. And you're going to say, what does this have to do with a second chance God? Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. Let me now explain since you've asked. In a second. Okay, this is how capitalism works. Man has to work hard. There's no such thing as a free lunch. You don't get anything for free, right? Got to work. Okay? We're Deseret. We're the honeybee. We're just busy working hard. Okay? And if we're busy doing that, then we're able to finally meet our needs, right? We work really hard enough, we're going to take care of our, the, the, the needs that we have. Okay? Now, what do we do with our surplus? You worked enough, now you've covered all the bills, and you actually have a little bit left over. What do you do with that? Save it, or buy a bigger screen TV, or a bigger car. Give it to them. Yeah. Okay, so now I'm going to take that surplus, which is more than what I need right now, and over here is the government. And, and their job is to take care of the sick, the poor, and the widow. Just ask them. Okay? So, what, I, what am I going to do with my surplus? I call that my wealth. In other words, I've accumulated a little bit off to the side. Now, some of this then is going to obviously go in taxes into the government so they can take care of the sick, the poor, and the needy. Oh, come on! Are you skeptical? Okay, and what do we do with our wealth? What do we do with our surplus left over after the government got theirs? Save it? Spend it? <laughs> yeah, now we do. Okay. can, and so we do, but most of it, we're going to do that after we've kind of accumulated our wealth. Uh, and our wealth then becomes my treasure. My treasure is the stuff that I have saved up. Uh, I, it's my nest egg, and I'm going to very, take very careful watch over my nest egg. I'm going to put it in the stock market where it's exactly safe. <laughs> Or under a mattress. Where it's safer. Where it's safer. Yeah. <laughs> or in the old days, what would happen in the days before banks and things like that, if you have your treasure, what you've accumulated over time, and you've, and you've set that off to the side, 
and here comes a marauding army, here comes the enemy, and they're going to sweep in and they're going to attack, what are you going to do with your treasure? You bury it. You're going to put it in there and hide it. Okay? And, and history is full of people hiding their treasure. Isn't it? Okay? Um, if you go to uh, Nauvoo, and you go into Brigham Young's house, you're going to see Sister Young's beautiful china. I think it was from England. When they got ready to leave and cross the river and go with, she took her treasure, her china, and she buried it in the garden. So that whoever was going to come into that house, they get the house, but they wouldn't get her china. And it was only later that as people were kind of digging around stuff that they found her china. And, and brought it into the house so we can see that she buried her treasure. Okay? Now, hang on to that idea for a second. Okay? Really? Uh, by the way, at the moment, uh, let me just say that uh, if, we, if we write the check today to the Perpetual uh, Education Fund of the church, we're going to send them a check for $1,500. Isn't that cool? So um, we may wait the next couple of weeks just if anybody else wants to donate and, and go ahead and be generous uh, if you want to do that. Okay? Thank you. Okay, now, let's figure out how we do this under a Zion Society. Which, by the way, so you're going to hang on. So in this one, you're hanging on to your treasure, and it's your treasure that will sustain you into the future should something happen. That's why you've got to bury your treasure. Right? Okay? In a Zion society, man is using what? The Lord's resources. Did we, did we come on these, our wealth by, by virtue of our own resources? No, we're using the Lord's resources. Things that He's given us out of the earth. That becomes kind of important here. Okay? Now we're going to do those and we're going to and we're going to receive sufficient for our own needs. We have just enough to take care of our family. Okay, now we have surplus. I've got everything, family's covered, the bills are paid. I have now this extra. What am I going to do with my surplus? Okay. I've got to return back to the Lord the things that I didn't need. But in some cases, it's things that I, I grew in, didn't I? Under my management, I, I took some resources, I expanded them, I made it into more. So I created more surplus. And what we're going to do is we're going to then send that to the bishop's storehouse. We're going to return that. And then the bishop is going to help take care of the sick, the poor, and the widow out of our surplus. Okay? Now, is there another piece? Where's, where's your savings? Where is your treasure? I guess you wait until you have to take a I'll get it back. I gotta get sick first. <laughs> Because you're not going to have an essay. 
You're going to have to say at the end of the month, I have this. Here was and then any surplus I gave here, so at the end of the month I have no surplus. I netted out my book. I'm now back to zero. Yes, you're covering your fire insurance. But aren't we under capitalism? I've said, does, isn't that a little panicky to say I'm not going to have anything in the bank whatsoever? I just have to trust that if I need it, they'll be there for me. But I don't know that for sure. So it's based on trust. Now, if you're, isn't that a little anxiety producing? That you're just going to have to, you're going to give everything left over here. Well, I'm, it used to, the only way that I can be comfortable is I have enough money sitting in the bank so that I know what something would happen to me. If you continue to manage your business or your farm or your whatever you're doing, and you've demonstrated by your management that you can really grow this thing, absolutely, the bishop is going to say, let me tell you, it would be smart to take some of this surplus that's come in and give it to somebody that has the skills and ability to grow it for the benefit of the whole society. So you grow it and now you have a bigger surplus. And what do you do with that surplus? You take, you give it back. As opposed to saying, I, I grew it, and, and again, if you really think this through, it goes counter to everything that we're taught in terms of money one-on-one about how to manage your money in your nest egg. And it has to rely on trust. Okay? Are we all right on that one? Yeah. Can you see why it is in, in uh, Kirtland, for instance, when they did put together a bank, the Safety Society, and they took all of their stuff and they, they put it in there, and then the, uh, the guy that was running the bank embezzled it, took the money with him, and the bank crashed. Because uh, they've gone counter to what Joseph had told them to do, is don't base it on land and land value. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But at the end of the day, they put their money somewhere in the church and lost it. And they lost their faith. So there's a certain amount of that great apostasy that happened in Kirtland. Two-thirds of the First Presidency, two-thirds of the uh, Witnesses, uh, two-thirds of the Quorum of the Twelve. You can see why it is that they might have struggled. Because you've got to trust the system. Okay? So in a Zion society then, let's keep this in mind, because now we get... Can you see why it is I had a hard time getting out of uh, Helaman 13? Because now it gets, now we're about to run into this. Um, let's hop down to verse 17. Because at any time that we're looking at things inscribed on gold and brass plate and stuff like that, if something is repeated over and over and over, it really raises my attention. And this theme is repeated throughout this chapter over and over and over. I'm going to go through and count how many times he uses the word riches and treasure uh, and it's just repeated. And there's a reason for that. Uh, as, as we'll see in just a second. Okay. Um, verse 17. Now behold, a curse shall come upon the land saith the Lord of hosts, because of the people's sake who are upon the land. 
Okay, let's stop. What is that? What was the first time we heard about the Lord cursing people or cursing land or, or just providing a curse? Adam and Eve. And what was cursed? The land for their sake. Can you tell that to your teenage kids? I'm providing a curse for your sake. I'm taking away your PS2 for your sake. I'm doing this for you. And they're thinking, right? Can you imagine explaining to Adam, you know, it used to be you just walk into the garden and eat fruit. It comes here. Now you're going to have to plant from the ground up and it's going to produce weeds, thorns, all those kind of things. And noxious weeds. I love that word. Not just friendly weeds. <laughs> you're going to get noxious weeds. You know, I, you know, when I read, I keep thinking about that. This is noxious. Okay, they're never nice. They're just noxious. Okay, so you're going to get noxious weeds. But it's going to be why? For your sake. Because I love you. Oh, thank you for the noxious weeds. Why, why, would, why would this be for our sake? Why would, the, why would the God of heaven give us noxious weeds? But it's for your sake. Why? Yeah, when we're, and all the time we're pulling the weeds up, we're having to rely on them. It used to be that it was just being provided. In the garden, things are just provided. It's like manna. They just show up. In this life, we're going to be in a world where there's not just weeds. And it's for our sake. What does that do for us? It keeps us humble. keeps us stronger. Right. Yeah. Well, that whole process of the, the earth falling to a, a yeah. Life, that was part of the progress to become like heavenly That we were going to have to uh, do it by the sweat of our brow. That we were going to have to work, which we didn't have to do in the Garden of Eden, but now we do. But it's for our sake, and this is where we learn, and this is where we grow. And that's why I give this beautiful verse from Eve, and she's saying. It's better for us that this happened. Now I see why it is that we're doing this. And I know good from, from evil as a result of having to mess with noxious weeds, which are the evil. Yeah. Why do you think we get spoiled children? You know, they call each other out. Yeah. You spoiled children that need to be cursed from time to time with having to work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Say that again, we're loud. She's putting she put one and two together here, okay? Now we make mistakes, so now we need grace. Yeah, grace and grace, and we want to say grace is going to make things easy, right? It's like saying to, to, to uh, Lehi and his family, you get a promised land. Go into the desert. <laughs> For, yeah and sweat and struggle and almost die for your sake. It's good for you. That wish does not kill us. Yeah. 
And so what he's saying to, to them, and this is, remember, this is Samuel, and he's repeating the Lord, the Lord's words that he received from the angel. A curse shall come upon the land, saith the Lord of hosts. Boy, we could take forever. Why would he use the word Lord of hosts here, by the way? Just so you know. Lord of what hosts? Heavenly hosts. What are the heavenly hosts? Angels. But it's not just the Lord, it's the Lord of hosts. This is, this is a God who has the chariots of Israel behind him. And this host of... Because usually if we're not talking about God and we're talking about hosts, what are we talking about? War. We're talking about an army. This is the God of a host of angels and an army of angels that can do anything. And I will curse the ground for your sake. I could have done it for you with this host, but I won't do it because I love you. Have fun with your noxious weeds. <laughs> okay. Because of their wickedness and abominations. Now, then we get into 19. For I will, saith the Lord, that they shall hide up their treasures unto me. And cursed be those who hide not up their treasures unto me. For none hideth up their treasures unto me, save it be the righteous. And those that hideth not their treasures unto me, cursed is he, and also their treasure. Now I have to tell you, I spent, I spent a number of days just kind of pondering over this. Because this thing repeats itself over and over. It took me the other day before I finally realized that part of what I was seeing was uh, a pattern of parallelism that is going to teach us what this is really about. Okay? Now, we're going to talk about... Somebody describe chiasmus. What's chiasmus? It's Hebrew parallelism. He starts at the beginning, goes in, comes back out. The main point is in the center. Repeats itself over Okay, you get that? It's a, po it's a poetic pattern. The Hebrews wrote in it. Uh, the Book of Mormon is lousy with it. It's just all over the place. And it, it's written in such a way so that, the, that uh, it slowly, as you read the thing, it works its way towards the middle and the key points in the middle. Okay? Now, the next couple of verses here are chiasmus. There is a, there is a Hebrew parallelism here. And it is here to teach you something. Okay? Here's how it works. Cursed is he and also the treasure. By the way, anybody, anybody watch the, the old movie uh, uh, Old Brother, Where Art Thou? I cannot look at this without thinking of those guys in the theater going, Do not seek the treasure. <laughs> The Bob's favorite movie. Do you know how close I came to putting a clip of that up here? Do not seek the treasure. We thought you was a toad. It's a great movie. Okay. Cursed is he and also the treasure. Did that for Bob's benefit. And they shall hide up their treasures. And again, why are they going to hide up the treasure? Keep it safe from who? Thieves. Thieves. And enemies. Somebody who would steal it from you. Whether it's an army 
or whether it's going to be coming from uh, uh, Daddy and Robbers. They shall hide up their treasures because they have set their hearts on riches. And then we get, and then it repeats. And because they have set their hearts on riches, they will hide up their treasures when the, when they shall fell before their enemies. I hope I spelled that right. Yeah. Does it really? Johanna says to flee. Well, that, you know, it wouldn't make any sense if they shall fail before the end. They might fail. Why, why would it distract us? Because our hearts are set on them. 
Can we define riches as those things that we set our hearts on? Here we're going there. I'm good. Alright. That's what riches are. And in fact, we take it even farther to say riches are those things that we set our heart on, comma, that what? Distracts us from taking care of the poor and everything we just talked about. Okay? Alright, now. Now we understand what riches are. Today. Now let's go back. Because I may have to get a big screen TV this week to watch conference. I don't know if that's bad or not, but... TV's too small. Get a bigger one. Yeah, so you want to be able to see President Watson really big. And, then, and then, they, then my grandkids will be able to see him better, and then they're going to be able to pay me better attention. Okay? Uh, yeah. Take that, take that feeling of it. Thou shalt have no other God. Today, what are riches? Things we worship. To the extent of the God's forget the Lord. Comma. Like what? Because I know you want to go like big screen TV so you can watch conference. Uh, or you want to go bigger cars, stuff like that. What are some examples of other riches that would cause us to distract ourselves from the things of God? Work. Could be work. Our work could be our riches. It's social activity. Socializing might be an, uh, an act. Yeah, it might be a rich. Clothes. Richness. What? Clothes. Clothes might be riches. Yeah, that was the Nephite disease. You always know they're in trouble when they go for the fancy clothes. Not a good thing. Success and fame can be a rich. Whether or not you even are making a lot of money at it, if, if, you're, if it's a success or seeing your name in the paper or something like that, that causes you to then seek after that, to hoard that to the exclusion of the things that you should be doing. Okay? Does that make sense? Now, let, let me ask a strange question. Could a church calling be a riches? Yes. Well, no. That service... Success in your calling. Oh, excess. Anything that we're going to do to excess that causes us to say, uh, to cause us to get distracted from the things of God and, and the real purpose of serving. Everything's got to be kept in balance. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, the Apostle Peter will talk to us about that God has things away for us uncorrupted, where you know where moths can't corrupt. Okay. Now, yeah. Potentially, except that the, we, we don't have to necessarily bury them as much as we may have to consecrate them to the Lord. We may not have, but what we're going to talk about is that how sometimes we do bury treasures. Yeah. How did you get your talent? The perfect. How did you get your talent? It was a gift. You didn't earn it in the first place. You were born with it. Now, what did you do with that talent? Developed it, you grew it, you took care of it. Okay, now the question is, so so now for it to become a treasure, you gotta use it. How? If you consecrate it to the Lord, now you've dedicated that to the Lord, and I'm gonna use that in his service. If I if I'm gonna consecrate it to myself, I'm going to bury it. Why? I'm going to hoard that. Okay? Yeah? This reminds me of the example of Pavarotti, the famous, famous tenor. Uh-huh. He said that he called his talent the voice. It wasn't his voice. And every time he ever talked about it, and they were like, how do you feel about your talent? He said, it's not mine. Yeah. It's God. It's on loan. It, it is, yeah. Every time. Okay. I like that. Okay, now. So, so let me ask you this. Why is it then, let's go back, why do people bury their treasures? They don't want to share it. They want to share it. They're going to hide it from who? Enemies. Enemies. Now. Well, don't we also bury our treasures because we have to be fearful too? Of what? Of our enemies and ourselves. Yeah. We're not, we, we don't trust enough, we don't trust enough that we are children of God so that we Yeah. How many times do we bury our treasure? Under because we think we're going to be attacked or we're going to be embarrassed. Or how many times when it's part of what I was trying to tell the single adults last night. If you have a treasure, which is your testimony and your knowledge of the gospel, and you allow enemies to come in and you're fearful of them, how many people who are inactive, for instance, have buried their treasures? Because they're fearful of men or they're fearful of whatever. And they've taken that precious treasure, whether it's testimony or talents, and it gets buried away. It's not being consecrated to the Lord, it's being buried. I think for some people, their testimony, their love of the Savior, is the treasure. And they fear that the priesthood is the enemy. Could be. You guys hear that? There's a perfect example of people and, and, uh, where, where somehow in church leadership or something that they have, they feel like they've been attacked, and sometimes they have, we're human, but they've been attacked and they take that treasure and they bury it because then they have made a priesthood or a Relief Society president or somebody like that, the enemy. And because they perceive that, they're going to bury it. And it's interesting, they're rich as they grew it, they, they, they did everything with it, there was surplus, they now have this wonderful treasure, 
that they'll bury it. And interesting about this, what is the Lord about to say to those that bury their treasure and they're not dedicated unto me? And, and what does it curse me? They'll lose it. And specifically, they will come back for their treasure and it'll be gone. You can't find it. It's taken away. Think about the parable of the Savior. He's given out the talents and he took away from those that had it. That's what this is talking about. The same principle. Okay? Now, He finished eating. No. Okay. So this is where we want to kind of get in then to, to uh, the, the whole concept of slippery riches. Notice we still haven't gotten out of chapter 13. Okay, now ahead of this, uh, uh, I just want to show you something. L look actually down in verse 33. It's going to say, Oh, that I... And, and if you've ever heard the, the Book of Mormon Oratorio by... Uh, Leonard? No. Who's the guy that did the Book of Mormon Oratorio years ago? No, before him. Crawford Gates, I think, was the one that did that. Okay? And they, and they used this one. Oh, that I had repented. Oh, that I had repented and not killed the prophets. I know, that's a frightening thing. Okay, and stoned them and cast them out. Yet in that day shall ye say, then look at the semicolon, or the colon there. What's that? 33. Verse 33. We're hopping down for a second. Okay, I just want to show you something I think you'll find fascinating. Then there's a colon, then it says... Oh, that we had remembered the Lord our God in the day that He gave us our riches. Okay? Um, this phrase, uh, believe it or not, is, is a quote from Enoch. It was found in an ancient Enoch, Enochian, Enoch text in 1888. And for whatever reason, probably from the brass plates, Samuel is quoting Enoch. Now, why is that important? But besides it being very interesting, how did Joseph Smith know that in 1830? It's a little internal thing. Because oftentimes they try to say, well, Joseph Smith just quoted stuff and he threw it in here to get the Book of Mormon. Okay, yeah, he's quoting Enoch from a text that wasn't found until 1888. Not bad for a schoolboy prophet. Anyway, verse 31. And behold, the time cometh that he curses your riches, that they become slippery and you cannot hold them. And in the days of your poverty, you cannot retain them. Okay? Well, that's kind of an interesting phrase, isn't it? It's like today. Well, why would that be like today? Because so many people have had money they've been hoarding up in the stock market and stuff, and it's just... They're watching that kind of slip away if the economy starts to topple over. And it's not just here. It's worldwide. 
Yeah, this is kind of a scary, scary moment. We're watching what's going on with Europe and Greece and, and all those. Uh, and we're watching people lose their, not just their riches, they've taken their surplus riches and created their treasures. So they've placed their treasures in places where they could get investments to grow. And they're watching that do what? Slip away. Which, it, which is a fascinating view to me. It's like, they're trying to grab onto something really slippery and you just can't, like, like a grease pig contest. We've all done that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. It's all day. Okay. And in the days of your poverty, you cannot retain them. Now, let me just ask though, because what do we define riches as? Surplus. Things that distract us. That's right. That, that we think are our treasure, but they're treasure not dedicated to the Lord. Okay, now, think about riches. What happens? Bring it to today. Do we have slippery riches? Okay. How would they slip away? If you just get past, if you take all of your ideas about money, you, you see riches, you want to create, you want to see it as money, put that aside for a second, okay? I just want you to think in terms of riches as things we place our heart on, not dedicated to the Lord. Not the home. I mean, there's so many setting into a closure right now. Okay. And there are people in jobs. People have lost jobs. And some of them very... Sometimes it can be jobs, it can be houses. Yeah. How could family... Okay, good question. How about families? Do a lot of times people see families as their riches? Sure. Do we see those as our treasures? Yeah. I had the Bedlamites out of my house yesterday and they were little treasures. Okay. But how can, how can family become... Riches, comma, not dedicated to the Lord, comma, that cause us to become distracted from the things of God. Senior couples who refuse to go into church. Oh, there's one. I didn't thought of that. Oh, senior couples that say we are desperately needed in the mission field, but we're going to miss that baptism. We're going to miss have being around those kids. Yes, they are their treasures, but if, if it's the result of that, if you're going to become... So family focus that you lose track of and the Lord is calling you to a, a work and you're going to refuse to do that. I think that's a perfect example. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. The temple being 20 minutes away <coughs> and not going because of... I'm just too busy with my family. I've set up my kids in 40 sports. And <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. They need to be and everything is going. So I am so busy running back and forth between practices that I don't have a chance to do. But I'm doing it for the kids. This is in, the, this is in their best interest. Maybe. Yeah. I feel like riches, um, people who have riches stop humble hearts about it and kind of become our treasures. My treasures to me are like holy girls and getting married and stuff like that. So if you, you have riches, and you start to treasure that, like the Holy Ghost, and, and that's why I say, and, and 
that you hang on to. And in a sense, you kind of bury them within you, but you're going to end up using it to bless the lives of others because those things are consecrated to the Lord. Okay? Perfect. Yeah, she, she, she was saying a lot of that has to do like riches are like the gift of the Holy Ghost and things that you really treasure and you really hang on to. The things that are most important. Thank you. Yeah. Moms basing their value on the success of either, well, or wives of their marriage or the success of their children. <laughs> oh, there's an ouchie. <laughs> yeah, that says, when my kids go out the door in the morning, there goes my self-esteem. If my kids are okay, then I'm okay. If they're not okay, then I'm not okay. In other words, and not that as men we would ever do that with our sons playing Little League. <laughs> you know, I can remember standing there on the field going, come on, just once, hit this. <laughs> just, just once, you know, like a winning hit. With, uh, and basically, and then I would be so proud. <laughs> you know, we get caught up in that. But it wouldn't look like it because it's about our kids or about our family. That wouldn't be riches that would cause us to be distracted from the Lord. <laughs> and it could. Yeah. I can't remember what scripture is, but the Lord wants to bless us with prosperity. I mean, it happened over and over again in the Book of Mormon, and righteous they become prosperous. But the important thing he said was that you seek riches, and that's okay. But then you seek them with the intent to do good. That was the Lord's bottom line. Yeah. So again, but, but listen to what we're saying is that, because here's a question, let me ask you this. Because we always talk about Nephite-itis. Nephite-itis was, they were, they go through a war, things are bad, then what's going to, they're going to repent, and then what's going to happen? They're going to get prosperous. Okay, now, wouldn't it make sense if you're God, and you have this group of Nephites, wouldn't it be better if they repent and you don't give them riches? <laughs> Wouldn't that solve the problem? Just don't prosper them. It seems to be that the prosperity is the problem. Don't give it to them. Well, if you did that a couple of times, like the Limites people. Yeah, but, but they had a chance and then they were, and yeah, and then, right? Okay. Wouldn't that make sense? Why would the Lord give that stuff to them that they're going to screw it up? Yeah. For our sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For their, why would that be? Help us grow. Help us show the process and learn from it. Humble ourselves. Yeah. Okay. You're going there. Is there a law irrevocably decreed? Yeah. He got it. Is part of, in other words, but there is there is a standard that says uh, that the, that outward prosperity is going to be there is a law irrevocably decreed in the foundation of heaven by which what? What's the law, do you think? When you obey. I'm going to bless you with prosperity. prosperity. I'm going to bless you with riches and treasure. But we, can, but we lose track about what the real treasure is. Yeah. But can't people even mess up the, the 
non-prosperity thing and get proud about their humility? <laughs> so we can manage a way to make that not work too. None of you have ever had this experience. But I lived in a world where we had where we had a couple of guys that became very wealthy very quickly. They had a business that just took off on them. Okay? And, and as a result of that, and the business was doing very, very well, uh, extremely well, and one of the guys bought a uh, brand new car. If I remember right, I think it was a Porsche. Yeah. And he pulled in to the church parking lot with the Porsche. And the response of a number of members of the ward was, yeah, how dare you do that. And, 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 and in fact, I'm sure glad I'm not like him because I'm poor. Meaning I am also very jealous. Very jealous. <laughs> seminary to kids afterwards, stuff like that. Okay, but there was this sense there that says, and no one would ever say this out loud, but I know the thought was there. It was like, I need the Lord to somehow balance out the eternal scales here, so maybe his kids will screw up. <laughs> and then I can feel better about the fact that he made the money and I didn't, but at least his kids screwed up so it didn't. Given it the perpetual education fund, but which is what I would have done if I did that. That's right. We never do that, do we? At least there's balance in the world. We just want if somebody's like with a with a pop star or something like they have a lot of money, but they're all screwed up. Well, then it's okay. It's balanced. Yeah, Sister Bob. Yeah, they are.
well, what am I doing wrong? Because I've not gotten prosperous. You know, I mean, but the Lord has blessed me in many ways. That's right. And I think sometimes it would be easy to say, well, what am I doing wrong then? Why am I not prosperous? You know, because I'm doing everything I can. The Nephites, when they repented, they became prosperous, translated to lots of money and really nice clothes. Okay? But, let's go back to this idea of the slippery riches here. Um, let me back up. Okay. We go back to Helaman 13. Look at verse 38. But behold, he says, your days of probation are past. You have procrastinated the day of your salvation until it is everlastingly too late and your destruction is made sure. Now, let's stop for a sec. If we were to hop back to, the, uh, to uh, verse 16, we're going to find there were actually three groups of people that respond to the sadness. Okay? Three responses. Response number one. People repented and went to Nephi to get baptized. That's group one. Group two. People didn't repent. They watched him dodging the arrows and stuff like that and they got really impressed and then they repented. Wow! They, got, they were amazed by that. Group three. Kill him. Or try to kill him. Yeah, we got those three. Okay? Now, so, when, it, when this says... But behold, the days of your probation are past. You have procrastinated the day of your salvation till it's everlastingly too late. And your destruction is made sure. Was that true for everybody that was listening? No, it wasn't. There were a lot of people as a result of this preaching that repented. And again, we believe in a God of second chances. No matter what you have done in your life. God will still bless you. It is not yet everlastingly too late. It's only everlastingly too late when you kill the prophets and starve the poor. So don't be killing prophets. Don't be starving the poor. There's a chance for you. Okay? Plano will still stand as long as we're doing those things. Alan will still be there. McKinney, okay? Now. So it's everlastingly too late. Your destruction is made short. Okay, now. Four. And here comes, this is kind of the, as, as Joseph would say, this is the summum bono. This is the whole thing about the slippery riches and the treasures and the riches. Here it comes. Ye have sought all the days of your life for that which ye could not obtain. Think of that in terms of slippery. I'm trying to obtain something. You ever had those dreams? You know, when it's just like the floating dream and you can't quite get the thing that you're trying to get to. It just floats away from you. Okay? You have sought all the days of your life for that which ye could not obtain. And ye have sought for what? Here's the riches and the treasure. Ye have sought for happiness in doing iniquity. Which thing is contrary to the nature 
of happiness. How many people do you know are the riches are slippery, the things they're trying to grasp in an eternal search for what? Happiness. I will just be happy when? And it just seems to always elude. Now, I want to take this one step farther because here's, because I'm, in a sense, I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are here on a Monday morning because there are other things that you could be doing, but you're here wanting to learn more, and that says who you are. But how many of us in here are spending our lives searching and finding our riches slippery because we are seeking for happiness in that thing that we cannot obtain? Now, think about this group here. Not necessarily the world out here. I just want to concentrate on us. What kind of things might we be searching for that would be our riches and our treasure and, and then we'll be happy when I finally get my riches and I cannot get them, therefore I'm not happy. I just want everything to go easily for me and have no problems. Okay, I want less problems in my life, then I'll be happy. Okay, what else? Yeah, okay. <laughs> but what if they're what if they grow up and, and get married in the temple and they become poor teachers? Then I want to do this. Because we have a view, we have a vision of what happiness will look like, right? When this picture happens, then I'll finally be happy and I'm, and I can't be happy till I get there. That's what, that's gonna be our riches. I'm sure of the single people in the church, the young ones, uh, it's marriage. Yeah. I cannot be happy. I can't be happy until. Okay, there's one. Yeah. I can't be happy unless everybody feels the spirit when I teach my lesson on Sunday. <laughs> I can't be happy unless all my primary kids went away inspired and went out and got their own testimony. I can't be happy until, every, I, I love that one, that's a perfect one. I can't be happy until I'm called to, you know, I have to speak in sacrament meeting and everybody's in tears. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody was sleeping, even the high priests are awake. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. We had uh, that time about leadership positions. I, I used to be in, in church with a man that he really, what he really wanted to do was be bishop. <laughs> I know that was deluded. <laughs> uh, and was and when I was when I was called as bishop, and I'm going, yeah, and he's going, it should have been me, you know. Sometimes we just have that. We have that sense that happiness is sitting right out there. And at that point, doesn't it become slippery? How about, for those few of you in here that struggle with the need to be perfect, and you can never be happy until your house looks just a certain way, or you can never be happy 
until your weight is just to a perfect spot and it just eludes you and you spend your life searching for that which you cannot obtain. And he says, but I've given you a treasure. Now, by the way, let's come back. One more thing about treasure. If you find a hidden treasure, let's say, out in your backyard, did you put it there? No, you wouldn't. Where did that treasure come from? Somebody else, right? Hidden treasure that you find is a gift. It's a gift. It's like manna. Now, in the process of seeking after riches that you can't find, what he's saying to you is you have hidden treasures inside you. You are the, you are the ground. The hidden treasure is in you. And if you will allow yourself to have Him teach you, He will bring these hidden treasures to the surface. Consecrated to Him to bless the lives of others. When we are so focused on seeking after the things that we can't find, that's the moment when we keep, we're not looking for the real buried treasure that's in us. The Lord wants you to have the treasure He put in you. You were born with treasures. They're there. But we just tend to get lost in that process. Okay. With that said, let's finish, let's finish with this. Of all places, talking about people with treasures and losing treasures and finding treasures, you have to love Job. Okay. Who's got that? Who's got Job 28? Okay. Erlen? Uh, why don't you start with uh, verse 12? Okay, so here's this search. In the middle of all of his tribulations, listen to what Job is pondering on. And it is not so much about what happened to my family and my friends. What's he after? Wisdom. Okay? So keep going. Okay, verse 20. Okay. Whence then cometh wisdom? And where is the place of understanding? In other words, where, if I'm in a secret after more than anything else, I want wisdom. I want wisdom to do the right things. Wisdom to know how to be happy. Wisdom to bless and serve those around me. Those that I'm called to. Okay? And, and the answer comes? Verse 23. Okay, so this great God, I'm picture this. He says he's going to take 
the weight of the wind. I mean, can you picture God doing that? It's like, here's the wind, and it's blowing through, and He knows the weight thereof. He knows how to somehow measure the wind. And then He says, uh, and He weigheth the waters by measure. To use Michael Wilcox's analogy, I mean, can you picture this great God standing there, and He's got the Pacific Ocean, and He can just weigh it in His hand. And he knows, he knows how heavy the Pacific Ocean is. And over here, he's weighing the wind. And, he, and he's got that in his hands. He's the God of hosts. He can do this. And then he says, verse 27, Then he did see it, and declare it, and prepared it, and searched it out. Verse 28, He said unto man, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. If we were going to take that word fear of the Lord and replace it with what? That we, in, in a way that it's being given here. Love. The love of the Lord is, under, is wisdom. And at the end of the day when we talk about our riches, when we talk about our treasures, if we understand the Lord and we understand how much He loves us and how much He wants to do for us and how many times He will forgive us, how valuable is that? More valuable than rubies and gold and that's part of what He's going to say in all of this, in all of this uh, Job 28. He keeps talking about the, we talk about treasures in terms of gold and silver and rubies and sapphires and all these kind of things and He says that's not it. The real treasure is in the love of the Lord and knowing that He loves us, knowing that we love Him, and knowing the things that He will do for us. And then, that slippery riches that we spend our entire life searching for, suddenly it's in our grasp because it was never out here in the first place. It was right here. It was in us. The hidden treasure, brothers and sisters, is in us. It lives in us. And if we quit running from our enemies and searching after riches, we'll find the hidden treasures inside of us. And we'll find out just how much the Lord loves us. And then it's no longer slippery. Then it's ours. We can hang on to that. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. <laughs>